Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. feel like I'm at the Feast of Tabernacles. <laughs> Good to be with all of you once again, and certainly uh, I do bring you greetings from uh, all the folks there where um, I'm home based out of Medina, Ohio, or some would say Medina, but it's not Medina. It's Medina where I come from. Uh, but it is uh, a nice place to uh, be. And uh, we had a little bit of snow, by the way. Uh, nothing major, just about five inches. Uh, I don't know what that is in centimeters, but uh, it uh, wasn't a whole lot. And needless to say, the roads were clear to get up here last night, so it was kind of nice to uh, drive up. It was really dry. They said it was going to be foggy and icy. Be careful. Da, 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 da. You know how they, they do that for rating, ratings, I think. You know, they kind of exaggerate a lot and consequently uh, make you uh, to stay on your toes and hopefully keep in tune to their stations. I also bring you greetings uh, from the home office in Tyler, Texas, of which I also represent, and uh, they certainly would give you a big howdy from Texas, which is where they're headquartered there in um, uh, Tyler, and that is where our, our home base is. Uh, as many of you know. So good to be with you. I think it's been, what, about a little over a year, perhaps? Maybe a year or so, year and a half. Uh, people have grown up. Man, they're getting big. I'll tell you what, you know. <laughs> Looks like everybody's eating their Wheaties. We've even got piano, different piano players and all kinds of uh, talent and gifts uh, coming up and showing uh, forth, and that's good. Makes it easy on Jennifer uh, playing piano. I know Margie would like to have a few backup. Uh, my wife, she plays piano in Medina and consequently uh, doesn't get too many days off, and frankly, that's one of the reasons why she doesn't travel with me uh, quite a bit, because or like she used to, simply because she stays back and kind of holds the fort down with uh, especially the song service and that, and with the fact that we're being webcasted, so it's always good to uh, have her there playing and we have inherited a baby grand piano, so it is really nice. We had it tuned up, and boy, does it sound nice. <laughs> so we're, uh, she's all excited, that is, to uh, play it, and I, I play it when no one's in the building. I just, <laughs> I'm like the phantom, the piano player, you know, the phantom of the, the, the house, you know, and play my old rock songs that I used to play. <laughs> but uh, at, at any rate, it is a nice piano, and uh, it's a bald one, too. It's name brand, so we, uh, we really lucked out in getting this piano with the, uh, the building that we have there. Well, brethren, I have a message today that I wanted to uh, share with you. It's um, going to be a bit different. I, I hope it is educational and somewhat um, revealing because there's a couple of purposes I want to accomplish today, and I will explain that to you as I go along. But for what it's worth, I want to mention that back in February, 2008, I gave a sermon in Toronto, and it was interesting. I was going through some old notes because I was looking for an opening for this presentation, and I thought, what better opening there would be than to perhaps thread a continuous type of story, um, uh, something that would we could connect back up and bring forward to show the consistency and development of certain things that we are now beginning to see materialize around us in our daily lives. In that particular presentation, I mentioned, brethren, it's no secret, the world is moving toward a time 
2008. I, I can't believe I even said this. I wouldn't have believed I said it unless I had it written down here in my notes. But I'm reading from my notes. This is from 2008. And I said, toward a time of a one world order. I mentioned that. And then I went, went on and I shifted a little bit. And I said, but your Bible indicates this is not going to happen without first a lot of pain, suffering, and destruction. And then I went on and I said, we are heading into a disastrous storm. Now, I didn't give the title of the presentation purposefully because I wanted to save it for this moment. The title of this presentation was Riders in the Storm. Riders in the Storm. And the bottom line that I wanted to mention to you today is I'm going to speak on Riders in the Storm again, parentheses, update. Because we are in something that is truly amazing. I went on to say in that presentation that the world is dancing with the devil. And without a doubt, that is becoming more apparent as we become more familiar with the dance. I also mentioned in that presentation that we were dancing with disaster and that man's legacy at best in some, well, not even at best, yeah, the best is tumultuous and deadly has been deadly for billions of people. When you look out over the history, you know, going back Attila the Hun, I mean, you go back to Assyria, you go back to Babylon, you go back all the way to all these nations and empires that have come and gone, risen and fallen, you find yourself truly repeating a ongoing cycle of destruction and death, suffering, pain, and uh, all kinds of mistreatment and injustices, human injustices that are definitely uh, subjecting mankind over the years and millennia, centuries, and decades. And I don't think I'd get any argument from any of you with regard to that as you look out over that history and that legacy of mankind. And so I warned that things would get worse. Guess what? They got worse. And they are worse. They're much worse. And today I want to drive home some points about just how bad they're getting. And I'm here to tell you again, it's going to get even worse. It is very much so. Today, Canada has now recently, as I understand, legalized marijuana for recreational use. I would say that's an indication we're continuing to slide down that, that slippery slope. Another rung on the ladder going down, not necessarily up in our standards and values. Because like we need another intoxicant, free and available. We've got enough trouble already trying to keep drivers sober while they're drinking, let alone while they're smoking on grass in spite of the fact that some people will say, well, it enhances my senses. I can anticipate the guy turning in front of me even before he does it. You know, well, not so, not so. But at any rate, there are people who do indeed think those kinds of things. Same-sex marriages are now legal, have been in Canada. Well, the United States is following right behind. We've legalized it, too. As a matter of fact, here just recently, nationally, same-sex marriages were indeed legalized. And frankly, transvestites in the U.S., at least I don't know so much about Canada, but are holding now readings and stories in elementary schools, elementary schools, especially over in the New England states. 
they'll get a full-blown transvestite in there, sit down on a little chair, all dressed up like a woman, and it's a guy, looks like a middle linebacker, but he's all dressed up in lipstick and so forth, and he's sitting there in all of his garb reading stories to little kids like my grandson who's nine years old and younger even, kindergarten, first grade, five, six, seven years old, as well as the fact that now even they've penetrated libraries. So they have now story readings in public libraries because this movement of the homosexual agenda continues to find ways that they can continue to wiggle there and worm their way into any kind of little nook and cranny of society to corrupt and or expose that particular portion of society to what they believe they have to offer. And, of course, I don't need to forewarn or even introduce to you the transgender now movement of which in this postmodern society affords us to, you know, if we want to be a different gender, we can claim uh, I'm a female today, but tomorrow I can go back to be a male, depending on how I feel, you see, because it's all about feelings. I can even, if a white guy wants to be a black person, I can be a black person. And you can't tell me I'm not because that's not fair. I've got human rights. If I want to be black and even though I'm white, I can be black. And if you're black and you want to be white, you say you're white. Hey, I got no reason not to believe you. You're white because guess what? Political correction stops us from taking people to task about these things in this postmodern society that we're living in. So we've got to be careful about these things. Things have now ratcheted down to the point where, brethren, we are really under a lot of control that we don't even realize. The United States has killed almost twice the population of Canada through abortion since 1973. And I looked up Canada. Canada has killed since 1973, killed since 1973, 3.2 million babies. And in 2010, which was the most recent stat that I could get, in 2010, Canada killed, killed 64,000 babies in the womb. North America has a lot to answer for in the ways that many people don't realize. And needless to say, globalism is continuously on the move via the U.N. I don't know how many of you know all of the many little subcommittees, sub-operations that the U.N. has generated and uh developed and put together from the World Trade Organization, some of them you know, you know, the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, the World Court, all these little ones, but there's ones that I found on the Internet I'd never even heard of. And there's literally hundreds of them all working their agenda toward this globalist movement of trying to unite all the nations of the world under one basic system. Because that's what they do. And you've got billionaires like Bezos, the owner of Amazon and also owner of the Washington Post, and Soros, many of you know him, along with their foundations such as the Open Society and the CGI. Anybody know what that is? That's the Clinton Global Initiative, of all things. And all of these foundations, don't kid yourself, are involved in very nefarious activities. I mean, everything from financing, in some cases, globalist movements and anarchist types of um, uh, protests to trafficking drugs and guns, human trafficking, and needless to say, even sex trafficking of not only adults, 
but children promoting pedophilia. Pedophilia today, I don't know how many of you are aware of this. I did two presentations on biblical news updates and commentary on pedophilia and researching some of it. It's horrendous. It's pandemic throughout the world. It's such a scourge on mankind. And there's great money in it. And it's driving a lot of this. A lot of this, what you could say, nefarious activity and so much corruption. I could go on and list how the human trafficking, of course, is pandemic, but in the United States being so corrupt, the previous administration, the previous administration weaponized, and I'll give you all the alphabet, they weaponized the IRS, they weaponized the FBI, they weaponized the CIA, they weaponized NSA, that's the National Security Agency, by the way, they weaponized FISA, the, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, with phony records. This is all facts, brethren, now. Coming to the surface. Coming to the surface. And it's no secret anymore about how these organizations were politicized, controlled, and those on the inside using what they wanted to foist their agenda to take down some obstacles, speed bumps, that were slowing down this I've already mentioned it, introduced it to you, but I'm going to repeat this because I want to get to a point here that I'm going to make some distinctions. Slow down this globalist agenda. There are some major, major movements happening today all around us. And social media now is playing a major part in it all. Even the Church of God International is now beginning to feel it. We are being constantly challenged when we have a presentation, Armor of God, we have a biblical news update that we post on Facebook, and they will constantly, over and over, challenge us. You can't use that word antifa. Oh, you can't use that word homosexual. Oh, you can't use that word same sex. And then we've got to appeal on why we're using it and what we're saying it for and how it plays into the context of the presentation. I was just told before uh, services began that there were presentations I did back in 2015, 2016, that are sometimes buried or taken off of YouTube. Oh, yeah, that's what's happening. You don't even know it sometimes, do we? We don't get this information because the news media, the mainstream media brethren, are nothing more than propaganda machines and, quite frankly, in so many ways, are nothing more than political activists. They're not journalists. And sadly, much of what is going on around us, we're blinded by it and are totally unaware of it simply because we are not informed correctly. The narratives are being controlled today to get you to think in a certain way so that unbeknownst to you, this globalist, I'm going to keep coming back to this word, I want you to get this in your mind, in your brains, this globalist movement can stealthily move itself into position to gain the, the mileage, to gain the control that it wants to control and gain. And there is indeed forces at work that are trying to bring this to be. Now, at the core of my message today, at the core of my message, 
I want to give you an FYI. This is a, a notification. It's a news alert. The title of my presentation, when I gave it in 2008, I characterized it as a storm that was on the horizon, that it was coming at us, that the clouds were building. It was getting dark over the mountains over there. I could even see, you know how you can see in the distance the rain coming down? You say, oh, it's raining over there, but it's not raining over here. In Florida, when you stand on the beach, you can see that a lot, especially if there's a rainstorm out in the ocean. You can see the rain coming down in the ocean. You say, oh, look at that. There's a storm way over there, about five miles away or ten miles away. And you can see it real clearly because the ocean is there. There's no buildings or mountains or anything to stop you from seeing that. And in that characterization of that 2008 presentation, I proceeded to say, oh, there's a storm approaching. That was the key word, approaching. Brethren, I want you to understand something today. We're 11 years down the road now. Guess what? We're in the storm. We're in the storm. It's raining. Now, it's not raining real hard yet, but it's coming down pretty steady. It's coming down pretty steady. And there's a lot of things in those drops, in the drops, that tremendous amounts of information for you to understand as you begin to scan certain places. And I would strongly recommend that you get off of normal news networks and start looking on your own for sources that you can have confidence in and build so that you can begin to get some true news. Even BBC, British British Broadcasting, I used to think highly of them. There's an agenda at work. There's an agenda at work with Fox News. Don't think you're safe with Fox. Oh, they're foxy. Yeah, they're foxy in more ways than one. And the Clinton News, I mean CNN, the um, news network there, they are just chock full of all kinds of manipulative news to get you to think a certain way. Or by just omission, not to even let you know about anything. Because, you know, lying, there's two types of lies. You could be proactive or commission and omission. (laughs) Hold back information, too, you know. And uh, neither one is good, because both uh, get you to accomplish the same thing, and that's a lie. So... We're no longer in the building phase in this storm. And what I want to drive home to all of us today is it has arrived. The storm has arrived. We are in a cultural war. And I say that to say this because that's how it's playing out. You see, that's how it's playing out. But what's underscoring it, what's really at work here is an ideological war. It's not just a cultural war. The cultural war oftentimes works as an effect. You see that. You see the culture at odds with each other. You see the culture fighting. And we have all these labels, you know, liberals and leftists and rightists and Republicans and Democrats, the Workers' Party and the, the, the Free Moral Party. I don't know. You've you got them all, you know, all kinds of parties. And we got all these labels for them. But the fact of it is, When you really get down to it, it's an ideological war. And the ideological war is what I want to talk about a little bit today. Because it's important for us to begin to identify the real workers of what's going on so that prophetic writ, prophetic writ 
can hold its value in the days that we're going to move ahead. And I want to share with you some things here with regards to prophecy that I think are very important for all of us to to um, entertain in our minds and, of course, to comprehend because it is, that is, this cultural war is in the development stage and intensifying and getting worse and really has come into a, what you could say, spotlight. And I'm going to draw a line. A spotlight in the last two to three years. Up until two or three years ago, it was still pretty stealth. It was still pretty non-recognizable. It was still pretty hidden. It was still pretty hard to see. It was still kind of confusing and and difficult and hazy. and, And really, it was just kind of a shadow of things. But brethren, things now are coming to light and coming to the surface where we now can begin to identify What is, in fact, going on? And I'm here to tell you, it's no different than what was going on in Judah and in Israel back in the day. Turn with me for a moment over here to Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5. Now, the book of Jeremiah, let me just give you a little context here. Book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is now, he's about 100 years plus down the road from the northern ten tribes' destruction. They were taken out by the Assyrians. In the meantime, the Babylonians took out the Assyrians and consequently now are attacking Judah, which was left in the south. You had two nations, divided nations. Just let me bring your mind back into memory here a little bit. Northern tribes, Samaria, the capital. Southern tribes, Judah with Jerusalem in the south. Jerusalem in the south and Judah, the capital city of Judah, was still existing 100 plus years after the 10 tribes went into captivity by the Assyrians. Consequently, the fact be, be, uh, is that, be that as it may, Jeremiah here is speaking from 100 years plus from the downfall of the northern 10 tribes, and brethren, he's still talking about Israel as though they exist. As though they exist. And so consequently, in chapter 2, you can see a little bit here. I'm not going to digress too much for the sake of time uh, because i got a lot of information here, so I don't want to di- uh, divert too much attention to a lot of this. But just to give you the high points, in chapter 2, verse 4, as you go through Jeremiah, you'll begin to see he begins to leave the cookie trail for you to help you understand who he's talking to and addressing. And here in chapter 4, he says, Hear you the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob. Now, that's pretty vague because Jacob, we know, had 12 Twelve tribes, right? Twelve sons. And we know that Jeremiah is talking to the house of Judah. And we do know that the house of Judah are Israelites, right? Of course. Yeah, all, all Jews are Israelites, but not all Israelites are Jews. I hope we understand that. And I assume we do. So in this particular case here, he says, O house of Jacob, and he emphasizes all the families of the house of Israel. So now he emphasizes the fact he's just not talking about Judah. He's talking about the whole house of Jacob. The whole house of Jacob. How many tribes was Jacob the father of? Twelve. Judah was one. That's all. So here we know, definitely, he's got it 2020 on the division of the nations, uh, or of the two houses, basically, of Israel. He goes on here in chapter 3. He says uh, in verse 6, 
The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah, the king, have you seen that which backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there has played the harlot. This, this nation is still continuing to exercise in whoredoms. What's he talking about? He knew where Israel was a hundred years after. He knew. He goes on here. He says, uh, and goes on in verse 7, I said, after she had done all these things, turn you unto me. But she returned not, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. So here we know distinctively he's talking about both houses, and he's opining over the fact that the northern tribes, who he knows where they are, are still playing the harlot. And he's claiming that they were treacherous, and now Judah's following in the footsteps. Verse 8, I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorcement. Her treacherous, uh, and uh, yet her treacher, uh, treacher, our sister Judah, feared not, but went and played the harlot also. He goes on here in verse 12, dropping down for the sake of time. Go and proclaim these words toward the north. Say, Return, Israel! He knew where they were. They were taken captive in the north. They were up in the areas of the Caucasus Mountains. They were up migrating already westward a hundred years already into this. They were basically some were hanging back in the Caspian Sea area, the Black Sea area, all up in there in the the the, uh, the uh, house of the Medes. Remember, they were taken to the Medes where Cyrus came out of later on. This all goes forward, of course, but the point of it is, is that he is talking and claiming for them to repent at this time. And brethren, I submit to you, this is an apostolic statement. There's a lot of things here in play. Let me explain to you what apostolic principle is all about. Wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. <laughs> affirms a prophecy fulfilled. It affirms a prophecy fulfilled. However, that's not all that. Listen, listen, listen. Or fulfilled, that's two, or fulfilled in part, or unfulfilled at the time here in his timeline, and will or maybe have a latter fulfillment. Meaning that some prophecies are filled along the timeline that have no latter fulfillment. But then there are prophecies along the timeline that have had some partial fulfillment, but are looking way down into the latter days for a bigger fulfillment in the end. And there are prophecies, brethren, in your Bible that affirm the fact that Judah will go back into captivity again. I've said it over and over on television many times in sermons over the years that the only reason why you have a nation of Jews in over there in Palestine today is so that they can be occupied and taken captive again and the prophecies can be fulfilled. That's the message to Benjamin Netanyahu. But sadly, the Christian church is failing him. They got guys like um, John, uh, what's his name, uh, Hagee who claims, you know, that the Jews are returning back to their back to their homeland. No, no, no. Your biblical definition of the of Israel going back to the homeland has to include both houses. And it will in the latter days right at the beginning of the millennium when all of those physical people are gathered by spirit beings who are resurrected to help Christ reinstitute the government of God on earth from the mount of olives making that area the capital city of the world. 
But that's another story. And sadly, because most evangelicals, most of the Christian community does not understand the identity of the birthrighted nations. They get all discombobulated and their shorts get all twisted up and not understand what is really going on because they look out on the geopolitical platform and landscape and they just see a hodgepodge of events. And Katie barred the door, let's see what sticks. And they don't know that there is methodology in play, that there is strategy in play, that there is a plan being played, you see. And God's in control. God is in control. As a matter of fact, I'm going through the book of Daniel, just went and finished uh, chapter 4, which was all about Nebuchadnezzar learning this simple lesson. All about Nebuchadnezzar. Remember his dream? And he turned into an animal for seven years. Remember that? A cow, a bovine. And he went out there and ate grass and so forth and so on. What was that all about? It was all about him recognizing God is involved in the affairs of man. And Nebuchadnezzar, you're not God. (laughs) You're not the kingpin. You don't sit on top of the mountain. I do, said God. And that whole lesson was about Nebuchadnezzar getting this point that, look, you are not God. So get off your muscle. Because he was such an egomaniac, an egocentric individual and a narcissist that uh, he thought he was the top dog. But the reality of it is, is as we see here, there is a lot of apotalismatic principle involved and in play. But my point that I want to make in Jeremiah, brethren, as I go to chapter 5, is that we are involved in a timeline that is very contemporary with our day and age. Notice chapter 5, verse 11. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt very treacherously against me, says the Lord. They have belied the Lord and said, it is not he, neither shall evil come upon us. Why? The United States is too big to fall. Canada will never fall. It's got the United States to back it up. We'll come to your rescue. There's no question. Why? I mean, we are nuclearly armed. Do you realize we got more bombs than China's got rice? Our cities are fenced. We are fenced strong. And so he says, they have belied the Lord, verse 12, chapter 5, Jeremiah, and said, It is not he, neither shall evil come upon us, neither shall we see a sword nor famine. And the prophets, guys like me, you know, the speakers, the ministers, guys like Pastor Adrian and Pastor Murray, guys like us, why, in this case, I hope it's not us, by the way. <laughs> I hope it isn't us. But by most cases, this is, as far as God's concerned, at this time, as well as, and we could make the case today, they're nothing more than windbags. Misdirecting, misappropriating, uh, miscuing what God really expects from human beings. And we can just take this season of trying to teach people that Christ was born on Christmas or Easter. Forget the holy days. He nailed all that to the cross. I mean, what could go on and on? Heaven and hell. Your, 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 your destiny is to go to heaven? That's not in here. That you've got an immortal soul, so consequently you never die? You just change life forms. When you die, your spirit leaves your body, and it wafts off either to heaven or it goes down to hell, you know, if you're bad. It's not even in here. And yet, minister after minister after minister throughout the Christian community, no matter where you go, if you walk into a Baptist congregation, if you go to an um, a, uh, Anglican's uh, funeral, you will hear them preach that individual either into heaven. Well, I don't think you'll ever hear them preach them into hell. 
<laughs> I've never seen that or heard that. But usually they get preached into heaven. You know, that he's always down there looking at us, you know, and and even, you know, most people, especially in sports, you know, they they make a touchdown and they they're talking to their dad or they're talking to their mom because they've been taught that when they were little, that dad's looking down from heaven, you know, or mom's looking down from heaven. And so as a result, this comes from miscued teachings. And so the prophets, verse 13, were told here, as far as God's concerned through Jeremiah, they're just nothing more than windbags. They don't, they don't tell the truth. They don't mean anything what they say. Wherefore, verse 14, thus says the Lord God of hosts, because you speak uh, this word, behold, I make my words in your mouth fire, and this people would, and it shall devour them. Lo, I will bring a nation upon you from afar, O house of Israel. Now stop. I just want to give you a little insight here. Israel has been conquered a hundred plus years before. Why would he be warning Israel? It's a little bit late, I would say. If he means Judah, which he could, because all Jews are Israelites, right? So let's just take this. I'm trying to illustrate to you this apostolic principle. So if it's Judah, he's late again. <laughs> he's under attack now. Daniel's probably already up into the king's palace, taken to the first invasion by Nebuchadnezzar. Ezekiel's down by the river Kibar already, second invasion perhaps. Maybe not. Maybe this is in between the first and second. I don't know. Jeremiah, he's still over in Jerusalem in the front lines. My point is here that he is, again, he could very easily be talking about that future Jewish nation in the future. Yes, he's in his timeline. Yes, Judah is under attack. Yes, Israel is gone. But he's still talking as though they're going to go into captivity. Look at this. Lo, I'm going to bring a nation upon you from afar, O house of Israel, says the Lord. It is a mighty nation, an ancient nation, a nation whose language you know not, neither understand uh, what they say. Their quiver is an open sepulcher. They are almighty men, and they shall eat up your harvest, your bread, your sons, your daughters. And he goes on drawing a very, very uh, horrific scene. And he says here, nevertheless, in those days, verse 18, here is at least, this is at least encouraging. This is an encouraging piece of information. Nevertheless, in those days, after I'm going to do what I'm going to do to you with this nation that you don't even understand their language, when they come in, nevertheless, in those days, verse 18, chapter 5, says the Lord, I will not make a full, I'm not going to totally destroy your nation. I'm not going to totally destroy it. I'm going to save some of you. And it shall come to pass when we shall say, wherefore does the Lord our God all these things unto us? Why does he do it? Then shall you answer them like as uh, you have forsaken me and serve strange gods in your land. So, uh, so shall you serve strangers in the land that is not yours. Declare this. In the house of Jacob and publish it in Judah. And I submit to you, he said Jacob as an indication to Israel. And he added Judah to make sure the distinction was also to include Judah. So he's talking to both houses at this time. And he's saying, declare this. And here we go, brethren. He says, hear now this, O foolish people, without understanding that have eyes and don't see and ears and don't hear. Fear you not me? Why don't you fear me? He tells the people. I'm the God of gods. I lay the groundwork for the sand and the oceans, the mountains. I'm God, he says. 
Verse 23. This people has a revolting and rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. Neither say they in their heart, let us now fear God. They don't say that. He says here, uh, let us now fear the Lord our God that gives rain both former and latter in this season. He reserves unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. And the reason this doesn't happen, your iniquities have turned away these things. Your lawlessness, your sin has turned these things away and uh, withholding good things from you. Verse 26 now. For among my people are found wicked men. Brethren, I submit to you today, we have wicked men among us. Listen to this. They lay wait as he that sets snares. They set traps for other men and women. They set a trap and they catch men. Oh, yeah, they catch people going to the island of Epstein with little girls. And they take pictures. And then they say, look, you're going to do what I'm telling you to do or I'm telling your fiancé. Look what you did. Gotcha. So you're going to listen to me. Gotcha. You're going to listen to me. And guess what? John McCain, you listen. Paul Ryan, you listen. Those are Republicans, by the way, if you didn't notice. As well as Schumer, Hillary. You see, I know this is strange, but brethren, these are real events that you could name kings who did the same thing and security people who did the same thing, compromised their values, compromised everything they stood for because they were entrapped. And in some cases, good men were made evil. Goes on here. Listen to this. This is so, so... I wrote an article about this, by the way, in the International News. I don't know if you saw it or not or read it. But go down through here. Look at this. Uh, He says here, the cage is full of birds. So are their houses. They're full of deceit. Therefore, they are become great and waxen rich. We had a president in the White House called Obama who never had a real job. He never had a real job. Today he lives in a multi-million dollar home. They go into politics. They go into public service. They come out multi-millionaires. And in some cases, billionaires. They're waxing rich. Why are they waxing rich? Because they got total control. And they become the elitists. You see, They got total control. They got insight. They've got the FBI at their hands. They got the CIA at their hands. They got the NSA at their hands. They got all this stuff at their hands, which they use to, in so many cases, their benefits, as they did here. The same thing. Notice, it gets better. They are waxing fat. Verse 28. They shine. Oh, they strut their stuff. They, they're arrogant. They peacock here. They peacock there. They got it made in the shade, as they would say. Yea, they overpass the deeds of the wicked. They wink. As a matter of fact, we'll run those guns down there. Well, we, that's illegal. Don't worry. I got the DOJ under my thumb. The Department of Justice. I got the DOJ under my thumb. We won't prosecute. Just get the guns down there. They wink. They overpass the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause. 
The cause of the fatherless. This one strikes hard, brethren. Fatherless children, orphans. Haiti was a pickup spot. The earthquake of Haiti was a pickup spot for sex trafficking little kids. Orphaned. Orphaned in those conditions. Orphaned. Smuggled into the United States via the foundations. Proof is going to come out. God willing. God willing. If it doesn't, this round, God is going to hold us accountable. Justice must be served. Pray for justice on these monsters who have taken small children orphaned by earthquakes, orphaned by hurricanes, orphaned in the Caribbean or in Africa or in these other third world, South America and so on, Southeast Asia, Indonesia and so on, and have been trafficked into this industry, if I can even call it that, and abused and used, of which the average age, by the way, when one enters into that industry, is about six to seven years. And that kid is dead. If they're seven years old, generally they're dead by 14 or 15. The average, the average attractive age for the sex traffickers are females 12 to 15 years old. That's good meat. I know I'm being rather, rather blunt, but that's the way they think because that's money. It's all money driven, you see. Brethren, watch your children. When my grandson, I've used this before and I'll say it again, nine years old, goes to the restroom. Guess who goes with him? Either Darren, his father, or me. And we take turns because his bladder's little. <laughs> you got to go again. Oh, come on. You're just waiting. You know? Your turn, Darren. No, your turn, Bill. You know? But that's the way it goes. Watch your children. It only takes a minute and they're gone. They're gone. And you young people, be careful. Be careful when you walk. Be careful where you are. Because this was going on too. Yet they prosper. Oh, they prosper because it's good money. And the right of the needy do they not judge. But I like this. Scary, but nevertheless I like this. Because this means justice is coming. Verse 29. Shall I not visit, the prophet says on behalf of God. Shall I not visit for these things, says the Lord. Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this. Astonishment. And filthiness would be a better Hebrew translation, um, is committed in the land. And so it goes, brethren. So it goes. So I'm driving to this point in my presentation that I want to say to all of you, I have an appeal today for all of us. I have an appeal. An appeal that I hope you will listen to and really allow it to resonate with. We are in a major storm. It is raining. And the rain is going to build. It's going to get worse. There may even be winds of change that are going to occur. I don't know how bad the destruction is. I don't know. Don't ask me. I don't know what phase we're in. Whether or not there's a war that's going to break out. Because I do know in Revelation chapter 6, in the fourth seal, there is a statement there that claims that 25% of humankind runs the risk of being destroyed. And that's in the seals, not the trumpets. It's not in the, um, not in the plagues. So there is some real, 
real concerns that I think all of us should have in regards to what and how this may play out. But the fact of it is, we are on the move, and it doesn't erase this, as pointed out in Daniel 7, and I'm going to turn there. We are on a track that Daniel describes as the fulfillment of a fourth beast of which will have tremendous worldwide implications and actually defines the ultimate globalist fulfillment of what is coming, of what is coming. And I believe it's important for all of us to recognize this. Uh, he says here, gives us a um, good news layout, at least in the upfront position here where he states basically, as I always say, the good guys win. He says here in verse 17, these great beasts, which are four, are four kings. This is Daniel 7, verse 17, which shall arise out of the earth. Verse 18, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom, shall take the kingdom uh, forever and ever. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceedingly dreadful. And the ten horns that were in his head, verse 20, and of the others which came up and before whom three fell. I don't know what the three fell means. I don't know if it's World War I, World War II, and then there's a third world war, and then the beast rises. I don't know if the three that fell are inclusive or exclusive of the ten. I don't know that either. Time may tell as we go forward. But the reality of it is there's going to be something that illustrates to us that we are now seeing and actually watching the manifestation of this fourth beast. It says, even of the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and did beat them up. We've got Christian martyrdom coming up. This thing is going to beat up Christians. It's going to wear them out. As a matter of fact, down in uh, uh, verse uh, verse 25, it talks about wearing out the saints and thinking it's going to change. It doesn't really do it. It thinks in its own mind it's changing times and seasons, but it's really not. It thinks it is, but it's really not. It says here in verse 21, I beheld and the same horn made war with the saints, prevailed, verse 22, until the ancient of days. There's going to be Christian persecution from this point on major to the point where even the potentiality of wearing the saints out is going to occur until Christ returns. That's what we're being told here. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High and the time uh, came. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth which shall be different from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth. And if you read Revelation 18, which is the demise of this beast, this system, it got pretty big. I mean, you can read between the lines and see how big it really got and how prosperous it was. And brethren, right now, the European Union doesn't fit that model. It doesn't fit the footprint. It doesn't fit the, the description or the profile. What am I suggesting here? I'm suggesting that a change has to occur. Something's going to have to change things up to get to where we are having ten kings combining their power with one tyrant, a beast, who becomes basically the runner of this particular operation. It will mark the people through technology perhaps, but in some way will mark those that are going to be the sociocrats of the system. If you don't have that mark, if you do not have those papers, if you do not have that chip, I don't know what it's going to be. All I'm saying is if you don't have what it is marking those 
individuals with, you're going to be a target for either arrest, incarceration, or maybe even, who knows, uh, death. But the point of it is, it is going to have something that is going to make distinctions between people that are with the program and people that are not with the program. So this is on the table. This is what is, for all intents and purposes, on the table, and of which, essentially, the reality of all of this is yet up ahead. I've been using this term globalism, and time is running, running out on me. But the fact of it is, I want to introduce to you the fact that there is another ideology that is stopping this. Globalism is an ideology. It's also a cultural war. It plays out as, in terms of a cultural war, but it's an ideology that's driving it. There's another ideology that is serving as an obstacle to it. It's stopping it. And in short, the description is nation states, nations with borders. That is stopping it. That's an obstacle that is the antithesis to globalism. Globalism wants no borders. Globalism is playing right now in Canada with a very reckless immigration program or policy that is under consideration, or maybe it was already passed, of which your Prime Minister Trudeau is for, because I don't think it's any secret Mr. Trudeau is a globalist. He wants globalism. He doesn't want borders. He wants people to come on in, mesh it up. And there are people in the United States that are globalists. And they want nothing more than to tear down the borders and let the United States become this absorption of all of these individuals that bring nothing to the table in some cases. Not all. Not all. But get my point. The fact of it is, what's happening today is a, a part of an agenda to water down nation states, to water down sovereign nations. I'm not going to take the time to do it. I was going to go to chapter 10 of the book of Genesis and chapter 11. There are two distinctions. God sets the table of nations, and you know what God did? He put them all in spots, and he made borders. He gave them borders. And what happened in chapter 11 is when they got all themselves together and they coalesced into one major kind of a coalition of group of nations, guess what? They got evil. And what did God do? He got involved, broke it all down, the Tower of Babel. Remember? One language and all that. And what did God do with Israel? You got a second example. What did God do with the 12 tribes of Israel? Read it. Joshua chapter 11 through 21. Those 10 chapters. Read it. And see, what did Joshua do? He gave Manasseh and the tribes of Joseph their, their land over here. And they gave Gad over there and Issachar over here. And it's all little tribal breakups and defined as nations. Brethren, sovereign nation states is not a bad thing. <laughs> it's a good thing. It keeps checks and balances. It preserves cultures. There is value in all this. Obviously, God saw that, too. And God knows man is not capable. He's not capable of handling a worldwide globalist system. That's why Jesus is on his countdown from heaven. He's the only globalist we can trust, by the way. And he is coming with a globalist government. But that's okay in that case, because that's God, his son. And he is part of the God family. But the reality of it is here, in this particular case... 
that what we see is for all intents and purposes a, a very clear distinction between globalism that I've been talking about up pretty much three quarters of this presentation and this identity identified obstacle to globalism of which is nationalism. Now, I want to take a moment. Two weeks ago I did this over in Toronto, but I think it's important for all of us to hear what this word nationalism actually means. And believe me, the name Adolf Hitler is not part of it. The word nationalism and the meaning behind it is, is very... clear. Love of country and willingness to sacrifice for it. And to, in all due respect to the French president, a synonym for nationalism is patriotism. What did that French uh, prime minister say? That was a contradiction. That was the antithesis. No, it's not. It's love of country and the willingness to sacrifice for it. Our military, our nationalists, they're willing to die for the country, whether it be here in Canada or the United States or any country for that matter. The doctrine that nations should act independently, the doctrine that nations should act independently rather than collectively, rather than collectively, has nothing to do with tyranny. It has nothing to do with dictatorship. It has nothing to do with autocracy. It has everything to do with just having a separate nation that you have love for and are willing to sacrifice for and, have, and are able to be the beneficiaries of what it can provide. It's a very, very pleasant word in many respects. Sadly, it's been perverted in the execution of it and tattooed wrongly in some cases because you've got guys like Mussolini that were ta uh, tattooed as nationalists, Adolf Hitler, as I mentioned, as a nationalist, and even to the some, uh, some point, but uh, President Trump has self-admitted the fact that he's a nationalist. But he's anything but a tyrant. He's not a Mussolini. He's not an Adolf Hitler. Not that I'm a Trump supporter. I'm not in that regard. All I'm saying, though, is for what it's worth, for what it's worth, nationalism is the obstacle to globalism. That, that is the concept I want you to get in your minds. Forget Republicans. Forget Democrats, independents, and in Canada, your parties. Forget those things. Start looking at the world. Who believes in globalism? Who believes in nationalism? Because the longer we have nationalists on the board, the longer we can offset and curtail the gaining and, and the development of the globalist agenda. Nationalism is the antithesis to globalism. It's anathema to globalism. Globalists don't like it. Even George Soros himself has been quoted as saying, Trump is ruining everything we've made, he's saying. He's got, in quotes in certain uh, circles that he's uh, been uh, interviewed with. So this is very important that we begin to understand that nationalism is an okay word to use. And it's an okay word to use in order to recognize the distinctions of now the forces, the ideological forces 
that are causing the cultural changes or the cultural war that we find ourselves in. Very important, brethren, to recognize that globalism and nationalism is for all intents and purposes the two forces that we are now indeed uh, fighting. Because as was read in the opening statement in Luke 21, and I want to go there for a moment, Luke 21, when the nationalists finally lay down their swords, and there are no more nationalist movements or initiatives on the board, Right now, we've got more than just the United States. As many of you know, we've got Brexit, we've got Swedex, we've got uh, Swedex, uh, we've got Poland is involved a little bit, uh, we've got Greece involved. They all want out from underneath some of the European Union's uh, limitations, especially the euro, because they want to start printing their own money so that they can get out of debt. You know, they're, they're all tethered to uh, the European Central Bank and consequently have to go with hat in hand to Germany in order to get the bank to give them money so that they can pay down you know, these quantum easements like uh, the United States was doing some time ago to pay down some of their debt. Well, they would prefer if they could just go back to printing their own money and get their own counterfeit machines going in their treasuries and pay down their debt with their own money. You know, But the European Union obviously is not wanting that because that would de, you know, derail the whole thing. And the European Union, for all intents and purposes, has been the pride and joy of the globalist movement. It has been central. It has been spot on. It is, it is the epicenter of the globalist pride and joy, with the UN included, as it's uh, uh, framing within that. But here Jesus mentions this, and it's a very important point, I think, that we need to re reiterate. In verse 22, he says, For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written, may be fulfilled. And Jesus really hop skitches, uh, hop skips and jumps uh, through a lot of things here. Matter of fact, verses uh, 25 through 28, he goes through the seven trumpets, the seven plagues, and everything else that the book of Revelation has in uh, five verses. But be that as it may, in verse 23 we read, But woe to them that are with child and them that give suck in those uh, days, for there shall be great distress in the land uh, and wrath upon this people. And we understand that from the book of Joel, we understand in other prophecies that the, uh, especially Daniel 11, where the king of the north comes in and occupies the Middle East in the latter days. These things are going to occur in Judah again, and he's going to set up shop. And consequently, this is paralleling that again into this apostolismatic uh, principle. But he says in verse 24, and it was read before, but let me reiterate, they shall fall by the edge of the sword, they shall be led captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down to the Gentiles unto the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And I'm submitting to all of us today, brethren, once the United States of America and Canada, North America, for all intents and purposes, the West in general, and as you can look out uh, and really be able to see the fact that you're talking about the birthrighted nations, once those nations are neutralized and or taken off the board, where their influence or leverage of balancing the power is lost, you've got the times of the Gentiles. Because it's either the times of the Gentiles or it's the times of the birthrighted nations. It's either God's guys, God's nations, the birthrighted recipients are the balance of power while they have the leverage to do, or it's the times of the Gentiles because the birthrighted nations have been corrected or punished or neutralized in some fashion or way due to God's allowance, due to God's allowance. So all I'm saying is I'd like to encourage you to keep this appeal that I want to close with 
in mind. And I'd like to turn your attention over here to the book of Romans for a moment. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Brethren, it is time to get very serious. And as the Apostle Paul wrote almost some 2,000 years ago, how much more are these words that we're about to read applicable to us today? In light of what I've been trying to talk about, and I've only hit some high points uh, in this bit of almost an hour now that I've been speaking, that with regard to uh, some of the things that we touched on, and there could be so much more that is said, and I've edited quite a bit out that I had to say, which I normally do anyway, I over-prepare, and consequently don't really get to all the bases I'd like to cover. But I think you're getting the point that I hope this appeal to all of you will make sense with what has been talked about and covered, and that is here in verse 11. And that knowing the time, this is Romans 13, verse 11, and that knowing the time, that now is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And it is, brethren, very much so. 2,000 years ago, Paul's talking in this kind of a tone. How much more can we have license to leverage this kind of talk today? So through the voice of the Apostle Paul, let's hear these words echo in our own ears. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light or the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6. Let us walk honestly. And there's the appeal, brethren. Get busy about your Christianity in you. Understand that Christ is on a real countdown from heaven. And he says, walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put you on the Lord Jesus and make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. So keep in mind, the only acceptable globalist that you and I have in our minds is Jesus Christ and the reinstitution of God's world-ruling government. That's the globalism we want. Anything and everything else is nothing more than a satanic counterfeit. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.